Hello all and welcome to the, uh, well we've already had our season 3 premiere, this is the uh, the premiere of the novel we'll be covering. Welcome, this is Thronderdome, the world's only Star Wars podcast of any note or any value. I am your host, Dr. Daniel Doughty. Uh, joining me is the defrocked Reverend Ronnie Gardaki, but I'll still refer to him as the Reverend. Uh, Ronnie, how are you feeling tonight? Feeling pretty good. Uh, I'm excited to get into this uh, book that is already better than Dark Force Rising. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're only uh, only three chapters in, but we're already in a much better mood than we were when we when we last left off with uh, with Dark Force Rising. And I guess we'll I guess we should probably recap. I guess because it's been a while since. Well, uh, let's just let's just say that in this book, the other N word is only used like twice so far. <laughs> And by which I mean Nogri. Yes. So far, so far it's, the Nogri have not come up very much. And when they have, it's been pr- kind of hand-wavy because we're not going to deal with them anymore. Which was so good to see. Um, but yeah, if uh, well, if you're just joining us, uh, we are on the third novel in the Thrawn trilogy. I would urge you to go back and listen to the previous episodes so that you can embark upon this... Uh, this well epic journey this this legendary uh uh narrative spun especially by... now that dan oil has already uploaded all of them finally <laughs> yes now that i've i have uh corrected my mistakes but yes uh, woven by the dream master the dream weaver himself timothy zahn the thrawn trilogy we are here today to talk about the the final book in the trilogy the last command and uh, what better place to start when talking about a book than its cover? Ronnie, you had a few words <laughs> about the cover of The Last Command. Yeah, because uh, uh, even though I have a, a physical copy of the book, I typically look at the ebook because it's easier and I can, you know, highlight uh, segments of the of the chapter and then and uh, copy and paste into my uh, notes file. Um, anyway, it comes with a it comes with the uh, cover, which I believe is the original uh, paperback cover, and it, it's it's very interesting to me because uh, on the top of it it says the gripping conclusion to the number one best selling saga, and then it says Star Wars, and then underneath it is Volume Three of a three book cycle, <laughs> which I found an interesting word to use. A cycle. It, it makes it seem much more artistic than it actually is. <laughs> yeah, I, I've only... I don't see that very much. I think the association I have most with a, a collection of books being called A Cycle is the Solar Cycle by uh, Gene Wolfe. And that's so called because it's actually... It's like three different trilogies plus a few addenda. Uh, so all together it's a cycle. But that's a little... Yeah, that's kind of big for their britches for this one. Then, then we on the cover itself we've got um, like uh, we've got Luke Skywalker in a Jedi robe, like uh, Ben Kenobi's robe, having a lightsaber battle with what I have to believe is Mara Jade, who's wearing like a giraffe print uh, bodysuit, mm-hmm. and and they're against a they're against like a, a, a Tie Fighter window, you know the the like. Uh, segmented circular sort of umbrella like yeah. uh, window oh and yeah then in the foreground is. you and then in the foreground you've got very accurate likenesses of Harrison Ford and, and Carrie Fisher and then on the right you have a a bearded a bearded man with a medallion on his chest 
who has to be Joris Kabeoth. And then finally at the bottom you have by Hugo Award winning author Timothy Zahn. Beautiful. And I just wanted to highlight this because this is a very... This could have only been made in like 1993 because it is <laughs> incredibly dated. Yeah, it's... Uh... You, you can you can tell why they went with uh, some different like, like I'm looking at some of the other editions like there's a recent one uh, that has it's just like a big Luke Skywalker and a small Mara Jade kind of imposed against him is one of the reprints. There's another reprint I think it's the the new paperback edition that just shows like Admiral Thrawn surveying a battlefield, and that's all yeah that's all kind of more I guess in keeping with the spirit. Though we'll we'll find out. I th- what if you know? What if Timothy Zahn did write a scene where Luke Skywalker and Mara Jade fight each other, and he's wearing Obi Wan robes, and she's wearing a, a camouflage uh, jumpsuit? You know, it could happen. Yeah, I mean, it's it's always possible. It is always possible. Anything's possible in the world of Star Wars. Or, or perhaps, or perhaps none of it happens, and it's one of those misleading book covers you so often get. Where something exciting is promised on the cover, but instead you're just forced to read a lot of boring shit. Yeah, I'm not exactly. Uh, I'm not exactly. Uh, so the, the the Han and Leia that you mentioned are, are very clearly taken from a scene from Return of the Jedi. It's based exactly on a, a shot from Return of the Jedi. So, you know who who knows who knows with this one, but it is a very striking cover. I like the 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 Tie Fighter window effect is is kind of nice. Very centering with the composition. I, I, I do like how I do how like uh, Leia is, is posed in the foreground uh, in close up, such that they don't have to acknowledge that she's at all pregnant, <laughs> which right. I found funny. That's right. It's a kind of a three quarter bust rather than uh, yeah. I mean, you know, I will say, hey, in these chapters though, like we get more talk about Leia being pregnant than we've had in the last two books combined. We get some kind of like we'll get to it later, but we get. Uh, some questionable delay uh, of pregnancy talk. Um. <laughs> we do, but I guess we'll we'll get there when we get to it. And to get to it, we got to start getting there. So uh, we'll we'll go ahead and move into the uh, our our recap portion of the of the show here. Um, and, and just to kind of refresh everybody, where last we left off with the end of Dark Force Rising, uh, Mara Jade had uh, gotten her bell rung uh, and had to eject from her. Fighter ship when her when she led Taloncard's fleet against the uh, Imperial forces at the battle at the the site of the Katana fleet, um, the uh, our, our lunchbox guys uh, managed to destroy a star destroyer in that little kerfuffle uh, and then uh, get away safely. But it turns out that Grand Admiral Thrawn had already procured almost the entirety of the the dark force fleet the katana fleet uh so called if you recall of course for the dark gray paint that the the ships were colored with or for the fact that the interiors did not have as much interior lighting because the crew complement was less than a typical dreadnought uh so our two choices for the origin of dark force but anyway so here we are uh, it's about a well. I guess we'll get into it. But I will say it's 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 dropped a few times, and it's about a month after the events at the end of Dark Force Rising, and we open with a Star Destroyer. Of course, Timothy's on keeping it real, keeping it Star Wars. Um, the Chimera Bridge, where Grand Admiral Thrawn and Captain Palayan are issuing orders to several uh, fleet detachments. Uh, with some precision timetabling, they're they're counting, giving orders, and counting down minutes to when their various attacks launch. 
Uh, of the captains of the Star Destroyers receiving orders, Captain Brandi of the Judicator seems a bit off. And we may remember Captain Brandi from that uh, battle at the Katana fleet. Uh, he was the other Star Destroyer that didn't get destroyed. The peremptory got destroyed there. But Captain Brandi... I, 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 I remember Brandi because I'm pretty sure I made a in horrible taste uh, Jonathan Brandis hanging joke when we brought him up last. <laughs> I, and, and if you didn't, this is, this is consider it happening right now. <laughs> and, and I'm pretty sure I did because I think we had a whole thing about how in a different life we would be doing a Sequest DSV podcast. Oh, that's right. Yeah, because it brought up Sequest. That's right. Uh, hey, there's still time. You know, we're still young. Um, but actually, while we're on the topic, I want to say um, my, my first... Uh, the first thing I took from this chapter is that uh, Timothy Zahn has really run out of people from Tampa to name shit after because the <laughs> names in this in this chapter are pretty shitty. Because in addition to Brandi, which is obviously from the previous book, we've got we've got like ship names like the Bellicose and the Relentless, the Nemesis, and then we've got like Captain Aban and Dorja. Yeah, like. Just, like I know that sci-fi names are by nature stupid, but <laughs> I feel like there's a there's a thin line between like plausible and just nonsense. Yeah, speaking of nonsense, the planet names are pretty bad in this chapter too. We've got an Ord Pardron. Oh, the cha- the, the the fucking planet names are awful. We got Ord Pardron, Ando, and Filv. My favorite, Filv. Phil Filv is fucking atrocious. <laughs> Well, anyway, Captain Brangdai of the Judicator, Thrawn kind of notices that he's a little, seems a little jumpy and shifty. So it takes him a moment to remind him that his job is to follow orders, not to seek personal revenge. Uh, the little, little uh, cool as a cucumber Thrawn coming out there. Uh, the plan is for these seven or eight task forces to strike at several New Republic planets near the Ord Pardron base, which will draw their forces in several directions at once while the Chimera's group strikes at the Yukio system, uh, a heavily defended and very important planet. Um, it is defended by these planetary shields, which make it uh, impervious to orbital bombardment. And so, uh, you know, and landing troops to take up their shield generators would be prohibitively costly and time-consuming. But as always, Thrawn has a plan. And uh, Jorus Kabeoth is a big part of that plan. Uh, Peleon, after everybody checks in, you know, everybody gets their orders on the timetables, uh, Peleon is sent down to Thrawn's command room, where uh, the insane clone of Jedi Master Joris Gabayoth, this is how he's described here. Yeah, it's like Pe- Peleon held a grimace, hit a grimace. Joris Man, man uh, just, to, just to cut you off for a second. Sure. Um, uh, one thing I noticed in this uh, description of Gabayoth, it really hammers home how stupid the clone naming convention is because you have a sentence that says Joris Kabeoth, insane clone of the long dead Jedi master Joris Kabeoth, and the only difference is the clone has two U's in his first name. Yes. So it's like, are you supposed to pronounce it Joris Kabeoth? I, I, that's that's what I've been doing. (laughs) Maybe it needs like, it's stupid. Maybe it needs a little glottal stop in there. So it could be like Jorus Kabeoth. Uh, this is what happens when you're a sci-fi writer who doesn't actually talk to people in real life. Uh, we know for a fact that Timothy Zahn talked to people at the Sizzler in real life, okay? So, back off there. Those people don't count. <laughs> those are those are science fiction convention attendees in Tampa. They are barely people. 
Like, um, what happens if the Sizzler stays at the Sizzler, dude? <laughs> Whatever goes down at the Chocolate Fountain, that's not for me to know. Um, I think that's Golden Corral has that. Anyway, uh, yeah, I, I do love that sentence. Jeruz Kabaoth, insane clone of long-dead Jedi Master Joris Kabaoth, who a month ago had proclaimed himself the true heir to, of the Empire. Uh, that's true. He's he's getting a little... Speaking of getting big for your britches, he's getting big for his britches. Um and uh, they have a little, uh, they have a little snotty little back and forth. It's a little tedious, uh, but I, I, I did like the moment where uh, Kabayoth kind of snorts at the idea of uh, Thrawn studying artwork. You know, Plano's like, "Oh yeah, well our plan is all in place," and it's like, "Oh yes, your plan," because Thrawn studied their artwork. I'm glad somebody's taking him to task about. That I mean, it is kind of stupid because we we later learn that like his whole key to. Getting the Yuki, the Yukio system down is they have a fear of the impossible. Which yes, <laughs> I sort of think that everything has a fear of things that aren't possible. It it would seem kind of a a blanket kind of uh, sentiment, yeah. And and moreover, like I would have to wonder how do you figure out that out from their art? Like, what kind of art are they making where I can say like, ah, clearly they have a great fear of the impossible. <sighs> I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they're like really freaked out by magic tricks or some shit. <laughs> you think they do like, like the emperor hired a birthday uh, clown for him one time, and uh, he did the, a few little close-up magic tricks, and everyone was terrified. Uh, but also, uh, I I'm not going to go on to a whole joke jag about this, but just know that mentally, I I always like change the uh, Yukio system to the Ukraine system, so I kind of had some fun with that. There you go. I, I kept saying Yu-Gi-Oh in my head, so you know, we, we, there were a couple. I also thought about Yu-Gi-Oh, but then I thought about. <laughs> well, the Ukrainians are a cowardly and superstitious lot, so oh, they would boy. be afraid of the impossible. <laughs> let's let's not, please. Um, but. Uh... Having oh so the oh yeah I found the full uh, artwork line he studied their artwork Kabaoth countered with another snort that will be useful if the time ever comes when the new republic has nothing but artists left to throw against us I just want to say good one Jorus that was actually I'm imagining that Thrawn probably went to art school and and this is like this a, is his a way for that <laughs> this is his way to pretend like he didn't waste his early twenties oh uh, yeah um. So Kabath tells Kabath is, is stem only. Oh, he's a big stem lord for sure. Um, but uh, after a little more kind of back and forth, uh, Kabath has a rather cryptic instruction for uh, for Pelean, uh, where uh, like he has like a, a special. Let's say, don't worry, Captain Pelean. Uh, when the time is right, I will indeed return to Wayland, which is why you will contact Wayland after this battle is over and order them to create a clone for me, a very special clone. Uh, when Poleon asks what this is about, Kabeoth uh, replies, I merely wish a servant, he said, someone who will be waiting there for me when I return, formed from one of the Emperor's prize souvenirs, sample B233254, I believe it was. And so this is all rather cryptic. I think I remember what this is, though. I'm very excited for you, Ronnie. Daniel, let's get down to brass tacks. He's 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 creating a clone to fuck, right? <laughs> Probably. We'll see. Uh, I mean, like he he wants a servant who's mm-hmm. who's from one of the emperor's prize souvenirs. 
Oh, yeah. A, sa- a particular sample. Hey, do you think it's Amara Jade that he wants? Oh, I don't know. I actually think I know what it is because I've read about some of the dumber things that are in the expanded universe, but I don't want to spoil it for the listeners. <laughs> yeah, I, I like the fact that we're both in the same, like, we're both pretty sure where this is going, but we'll we'll pretend we don't know for you, the audience, because we, we respect you so much. I, I Let's just say I want to be wrong. <laughs> so anyway, uh, Kamehameha does a kind of Jedi mind trick uh, because we have here in italics, the text says, oh, I will do nothing of the sort. Yes, Poleon heard himself say instead. The sound of the word shocked him, but certainly he didn't mean it. But yeah, he's getting Jedi mind tricked, all right. Um, the operation mind tricking Poleon must not be very hard. I I don't. Think. No, he he's kind of yeah. He's a little bit. Well, he's Sergeant Schultz, isn't he? He's he's pretty easy to Jedi mind trick, or just regular trick. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the Operation Countdown concludes, and uh, it's time for battle stations. The Chimera Task Force closes in on Yukio, and uh, Thrawn's plan goes into action. So you see, since the Yukians are terrified of the impossible, Thrawn is going to exploit that with a little chicanery involving the cloaking device. So as the Task Force approaches, uh, he had had a couple of cloaked cruisers towed in nearby, uh, so that as the Yukians let the shield down for any kind of nearby starships to come take refuge before the Imperial attack. That allows these two cloaked cruisers to slip in underneath the uh, the planetary shield. So Thrawn then hails the planet, delivers his terms of surrender to no response. You know, of course, they're, you know, they're behind their shield. They're going to fight it out. And then the Chimera lets loose with a barrage from their turbo lasers. And perfectly timed with that, the cloaked cruisers underneath the shield likewise fire theirs. So that when the Chimera's bolts kind of dissipate against the uh, the planetary shield, it appears as though they have penetrated it totally and, and fired onto the planetary surface. Uh, after a couple well, of... When I, was re- when I was reading this, I was laughing, thinking about like uh, Thrawn encountering a, a, a civilization where he's like, ah, their, their greatest fear is being firebombed. <laughs> you can see here in their artwork that they uh, that they don't like it when their friends and family are murdered. So we can, we can... like, like I think I think the the like fear of the impossible is kind of overselling it a bit. It's like if that happened to the United States, we'd be pretty fucking freaked out. Yeah, I think that's more fear of their technology not working the way they thought it would. That's not necessarily the impossible. Fear of being incinerated to death. <laughs> I think that's a pretty healthy fear. That doesn't need to be reflected in artwork. The fear of being bombarded by a spaceship, and uh, you thought you were protected, but you aren't. That's you know we're going to take advantage of that little bit of uh, psychology. Um, a couple of rounds of that, and uh, and the board is lighting up. This the switchboard's lighting up. The Yukian Overliege is ready to talk terms and lowers the planetary shields to allow the Empire to move in. Uh, a play- stupid name alert. Uh, the the uh, the Overliege uh, representative is. Told Dos La. That's, yes. Which seems like a spoonerism of De La Soul to me. Well, maybe it's our De La Soul from Tampa? I don't think so. Oh, okay. I, I, I don't recall there being a, a... I don't recall there being a very strong Tampa 90s hip-hop scene. <laughs> I actually went... because I actually, because of Timothy Zahn, I went looking on Spotify for any kind of, like, Tampa rappers, if, if they would show up at all. Um, and if there are a couple of guys who tried to make Tampa happen in the mid two thousands, kind of when Dirty South was at its height, 
but uh, as you can probably guess, it, it did not take. So yeah, not a very not a very thriving hip hop scene there on Tampa Bay. They're more of a they're more of a playing Kokomo on on repeat kind of vibe down there. I, I imagine. I uh, bet Timothy Zahn has really strong opinions about people who keep their pants down. <laughs> probably so. People who turn their ball caps around the wrong way. He's got a big problem yeah. with that. He's got a big problem. Um, so anyway, uh, Peleon is is rather unsettled at the... He sort of starts considering that maybe Kabeoth might have been able to control the timing of those cruisers so precisely because they had all clone crews. So Peleon's starting to think, oh, is maybe because he's a clone? His his Jedi force contact with clones is stronger? I don't, I don't know. Around that time, Kabeoth starts to mutter, there, there, my Jedi are at filve. He cuts off the intercom. Now, Leia Organa Solo, you are mine. And we smash cut to the Millennium Falcon, dodging and weaving and getting around freaking uh, TIE fighters, blasting at it. Uh, because uh, they were, uh, just if I have this right, to, yeah, Chewie's lighting them up with the gun turret. We're in the filve system. Uh, one of the decoy attacks in uh, in Thrawn's plan that evidently, by a total coincidence, ended up <laughs> running into the lunchbox guys <laughs> who were there. Because apparently this was a, yet another diplomatic trip. This is going to be the last diplomatic trip that uh, Leia took uh, before she sort of enters her confinement to await the the uh, the coming of her labor and, and bearing her children. But they're on their way to Filv when this attack happens, uh, escorted by Wedge and Rogue Squadron. They were going there to to calm the Filvian government and assure them that the New Republic can protect the system. So, <laughs> oh, uh, turns out, no, they got to scram. The, the oh, thing yeah. I took from this uh, segment of the chapter is um, Timothy Zahn is engaging in his one of his uh, old pastimes of just shitting on C-3PO. Yes, because there are multiple there are multiple uh, parts of the chapter where, like, the first one is, uh, um, let's see, uh, Han wants to do something, and then C three PO gave a little electronic gasp, which is classic Zon writing because, like, <laughs> he's a robot. What what other kind all of, gasp? of his gasps are electronic? <laughs> how, how is he going to give a non electronic gasp? Anyway, he says. Surely, Captain Solo, you aren't suggesting. And then he's cut off. It's like, put a choke valve on a goldenrod. Han cut him off. And I'm thinking to myself, if not for the work of an editor, be it Betsy or somebody else, I'm sure goldenrod was a word that we don't comfortably use in 2023. <laughs> <laughs> Just take your pick. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think you're probably right. Uh, <laughs> it does have that. It does have that. And, and then Timothy Zahn would defend himself, like, uh, no, that's not me saying it's Han Solo saying it. That's ex- that's exactly right. Yeah, that's it's not me. I'm just you know Han Solo. He's three space beers deep. You know, he's got a, you know he's a what a blue collar Corellian. He's gonna say a few things. Um, but uh, so that's a, a star destroyer and eight dreadnoughts. You know, uh, have been sent on the, on this assault. Uh, Leia kind of uh, remarks, "This is Grand Admiral Thrawn playing with his new Dark Force dreadnoughts." Uh, but everyone kind of wonders, like, whether the Imperials are also cloning engineers and techs, as well as soldiers and sailors, to get these ships on the line and, and out into battle so soon after only a month. Uh, but Han and Wedge work out a uh, oh yeah 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 that was a Han and Wedge work out the Falcon's uh, super good hyperdrive computer, 
will calculate their escape route and then they'll transmit those coordinates to Rogue Squadron so that their their trashy dumpy 386 computers, you know, can't can't uh, get it in time, but the Falcon's super rig uh, you know, liquid cooled gamer rig hyperdrive computer can can do this for them. And there's another moment of uh, shitting on C3PO because uh, they're about to make the jump but there are tie fighters that are too close now. They'll if he transmits those coordinates to to wedge, they'll pick it up and they'll know which way they're headed. Uh, and C-3PO volunteers to like, oh, I'm fluent in over 6 million forms of communication. I can send a code to the blah, 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 blah. Um, and Han points out, of course, that, well, you know, Wedge and Rogue Squadron can't speak 6 million languages. Goldenrod, you know. Uh, but anyway. I mean, uh, you fucking center square on Hollywood squares. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like... The droid with a long... Droid with the long, droid with the long yeah. handshake. Yeah, that's where I was going. Yeah, but, but it does get to the point where it's like you're wondering why does he even write scenes with C three PO? Like, yeah, I mean, you don't see him bringing up R two D two all the time. Like, just to just to have I guess a punch it's because R two D two can't talk. But like, I don't know. Like, if you don't like C three PO, you don't have to use him. I don't. I don't think there will be like an onslaught of fan letters saying. Where the fuck C-3PO, dude? <laughs> you could send him to the Nogri planet. You know, have him hang out there. You can, you can, have, you can send him to Endor. It's like, you know, I've decided to become God. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back and be God for a while again. That was great. Exactly. Just get him out of the way. Let's just pull him out of here just to, to crap on him. But anyway, uh, they, they, they managed to work out they're going to do what's called the Kraken Twist, which is a little bit of kind of a crude replacement code that all the New Republic folks know about, where they just kind of like add two to one of the digits in the uh, the hyperdrive coordinates. And the, anyone who receives the transmission knows to subtract two from it. Um, so they pull off their escape and safely jump into hyperspace. Uh, Leia, however, I is... Think the, I think the crack and twist was like a dance move back when our parents were our age. <laughs> The Kraken twist. Hey, the Kraken twist is what happens if I try to do the twist now at my age, at age forty. I do like, I do like how I, I really got into my breaking point in terms of Zahn making up, uh, uh, like names of things because yeah. there were there were multiple ones where I was like reading my ebook and was like, okay, is that an actual name or is that like him? Is that like a spelling error? <laughs> is that just yeah is that just like a, a, a some corruption in my in my ebook file or something but no it's all very stupid because i swear at this point i think zahn is instead of like calling from tampa which is the best way to come up with names mm-hmm. he's just like smashing his typewriter yeah we might be doing coming up yeah. with, with names like because because one of them is is x y q u i n e yeah, Zyquin. Z- I guess sounds like a cough medicine. Am I right, folks? Hey, but hey, it's, it sounds like something you take uh, to get rid of flatworms, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty not good. I'm I'm glad it only appears the once. Although maybe later in the book will take place on 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 Zycam or whatever Zyrtec. Uh, but uh, I, I do like how the the the, the Kraken twist is actually named after a guy named Pash Kraken. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and while I'm at it in this exact in this same page, like Leia has a completely unnecessary flashback to Hoth. 
Yeah, yeah. It's it makes no sense. Well, she's also flashing back to um, uh, after they escape. She's kind of realizes like, oh, she's sort of feels the same sort of distress that she felt around uh, in orbit around Endor. When of course they passed through where the Death Star was, where the Emperor got blown to smithereens. Uh, and Han this act, is the, Han this is the gets, first. Han actually gets gets concerned, which I found uh, enlightening because yeah. a lot of the time, like uh, Han and, and Leia, just seem like they're coworkers instead of a married couple. <laughs> I think you're right. Uh... <laughs> Far be it for me to to question the the romantic bona fides of Timothy Zahn, but. Well, hey, we, we we do know that he he had you know a minivan with some kids in it, playing those Star Wars tapes. So that's true. Yeah, yeah, we didn't know if those were his kids. Am I right, folks? <laughs> <laughs> just, just no, make, just making we're, we're just but, making all sorts of allegations. Listeners, we're we're kind of turning on Timothy Zahn, and we'll find out in a little while. Uh, actually, there's a big reason why, and you'll completely understand where we're coming from once Abs- we get to it. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, but uh, I think it's actually. Oh, I I do want to point out that that uh, the whole uh, the whole Endor thing. Um, it only comes up because uh, C-3PO, as per usual, fucked up. Cause yeah. Because he, he says out loud, like, perhaps it was similar to your in, indisposition in Endor. And and uh, he's like, you remember when you collapsed while Chewbacca and I were repairing the... And then, and then Chewbacca gets pissed off at him for mentioning it. And <laughs> then it becomes a whole thing about like Han being concerned. And it's like, you know, C-3PO doesn't know when to shut the fuck up. That's kind of his one thing. Like, Zahn does get that right. Zahn does get that right. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, so, Han, uh, to wrap this all up, Han insists that Leia get checked out at the, get a medical check once they're back at Coruscant, just to make sure, you know, nothing, nothing too uh, terrible happened there. Uh, but we cut back to the Imperials, where Thrawn is uh, that kind of calm, livid that he uh, he does so well, is demanding an explanation from Kabaoth as to why he broke off the attack at Filv. Then uh, they, they bicker a little. Kabaoth fills them in like, you know, like, oh, I had my chance to to take what was mine that you haven't given me, you know, kind of stuff. Um, but we do, it is uh, around around this that uh, Peleon is is thinking about everything. Kabaoth has, has shown himself, he has kind of his mood swings, he has his Kabeoth moments a couple of times. Uh, and, and, and here we go, everybody. Here we go. Now, just hold on a minute, Ron. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the passage and let our listeners kind of discover where we lost our, lost our shit. Uh, uh, no matter how many times he saw it happen, he would never get used to these sudden dips into the slippery twilight of clone madness. It had, he knew, been a universal problem with the early cloning experiments, a permanent mental and emotional instability inversely scaled to the length of the duplicate's growth cycle. Few of the scientific papers on the subject had survived the clone era, but Peleon had come across one that suggested that no clone grown to maturity in less than a year would be stable enough to survive. Did you catch it? Scientific... I certainly caught it. Scientific papers? Timothy, I was so I was so mad. I I called I called Daniel immediately. <laughs> it was I was driving home from work and got this furious phone call from Ronnie. <laughs> how how dare that motherfucker! It's it's so amazing. I mean, after like 
And, 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 I, okay, so there's there's two things that are, you know, first of all, there's, of course, the, the, the bizarre insistence that Star Wars does not have paper in it that we got from Heir to the Empire in, in the author notes. Where he was talking about how his, you know, his his purity of method to make sure that nothing that wasn't on screen on a Star Wars movie didn't show up uh, in his books, and uh, and and here we are in the original trilogy, scientific papers, and it's like when he was writing those. I mean, I'm sure he didn't remember this line or anything. I guess you know when he was writing his uh, his author notes in 2011. Uh, or whatever, but it's just very funny that he still thinks of himself as having took a principled stand against paper appearing in Star Wars. <laughs> and, and the uh, thing and is, it's it is. so easy to fix. All you have to do is replace the word papers with like data tracks or discs or whatever. Yeah, yeah exactly. Now, I will give Zon some credit here. This does appear to be the only usage of the word paper or papers. So... That doesn't make it better. It doesn't make it that better. Means that, that means that he could have easily cut it out. Because at least if at least if he had it, like, multiple times, you could say, like, well, okay, he, he's, like... Right. Be, he's going for something. But no, this is just a, a solitary fuck-up that somebody <laughs> should have caught. Betsy, I'm looking at you. Because you know, because you know... He had many conversations with Betsy about like his process and his thoughts about like oh and you know Betsy uh, you know the hit they they never say hit and run in Star Wars uh, but they don't say hit and fade either but I thought hit and fade would be more Star Warsy you know you know he was talking about this stuff Ugh. Ever, just... also like the whole idea of clone madness I mean <laughs> I, like full disclosure I. I'm a sufferer of bipolar disorder. This just sounds like bipolar disorder. And yeah, like Joris Kabeoth bears that out. Cause he's just like moody and, and like, is there going to be like a solution at the end of the book where it's like, well, Joris Kabeoth is now on a uh, dosage of lithium that keeps him balanced. <laughs> Maybe so. Well, I got to wonder because this also implies the existence of a, of a, uh, an academic publishing uh, industry in Star dude, Wars. Dude, clones will literally try to kidnap unborn babies rather than go to therapy. Rather than go to therapy. <laughs> it's clone madness. Oh, boy. Uh, but anyway, uh, if we can... If we if we can ignore that egregious oversight for now and move on, although, Timothy's on, you're on the shit list. I'm sorry. You've had I too, actually think that too oversight too makes long. the chapter much more interesting because otherwise... This whole, this whole, uh, uh, part of the, this whole part of the chapter is, uh, remember that episode of The Simpsons where, uh, where Chester J. Lampwick gets into an argument with Grandpa about, uh, you know, paying the <laughs> paying chicken, chicken coop, coop and it's yeah. like, and, and that's all I was thinking of when, like, uh, Thrawn and, and Kabath are going at it, it's like, you know, Thrawn is like, paint my chicken coop, and, and, uh, Kabath <laughs> is saying how those blitzes were lousy. <laughs> Those muffins were lousy. Yeah, there is a kind of there is a moment like that because like you know Thrawn is like I have already given you Je- uh, Luke Skywalker and then you let him get away, uh, and then you know the, the those muffins were lousy response is just like no I didn't let Mara Jade came over here and you let her go to come and that's a good point honestly because we come back around to like why did they ever let Mara Jade go anyway. Uh, 
again, I don't know. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll come back to that in a little bit, actually, because there's a much more compelling reason to have just murdered her when they had the chance. Um, I, I will say that, that chapter one is by far the weakest of the chapters we're covering uh, in this episode. I, yeah, um, I it, think so. It does, yeah. it does pick up, because uh, I would say that uh, chapter one, in addition to having a almost impenetrable uh, space battle, is also overstuffed with talk of like clones and Mount uh, uh, Tantric and, and all this crap. <laughs> Mount Tantric uh, on Planet Smithers, yeah. Yeah, Planet Whalen and 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 clone babies and and there's too much and, well, I, and I, I think and thankfully and thankfully Zahn like ratchets the focus a bit uh, yeah. better in in chapter two and three. I, I think honestly, if I had to guess, I think this was partly for his own benefit of like erecting the like here's what the MacGuffin is for this book, right? Because like the last book, it was the Dark Force, it was the Katana Fleet. For this book, it's all about the Sparty Cylinders and the clones. That's going to be the kind of organizing principle around the con- that the conflict is going to swirl around. And I, perhaps Timothy was sort of giving himself a, a nice, good foundation for all that. <clears throat> but yeah, we wrap up. I'll just, I'll just, one. I'll just say, uh, yeah, I'll just say one more thing before we move on to chapter two. Yeah. Um, I don't know about you, but when when they started talking about like Sparty crystals and like the fucking clone facilities, I just thought of. Remember those uh, the the creepy crawlers toys, and you oh, had like yeah. the fucking uh, and you had like the molds. Yeah, that's sort of yeah. How I imagine that's how I imagine the cloning procedure going. My uh, my buddy uh, my buddy Brian, who we mentioned on the uh, the video games episode with Alex last time, uh, that was a, not only was I playing Rebel Assault over at his house at sleepovers, we were also playing with his creepy crawlers. It was great. Brian is part of the Daniel Expanded Universe. <laughs> Daniel Expanded Universe, yes. Um, but Thra- Thra- oh, sorry, Thra- now it's called now it's called Daniel Legends. Sorry. Yeah, it was J.J. Uh, Abrams uh, shit canned it all, so we got to start Once over. Disney bought out Daniel's life story <laughs> and gave it to fuck. That would that would be what they did. They buy out my life story and then give it to J.J. Abrams, and then I have to do the Kramer reality tour for my own stories. <laughs> God, that would be fabulous if J.J. Abrams had to write, like, the, the last, the, the next seven years of your life. <laughs> and Somehow Gout returned. <laughs> but to wrap up chapter one, uh, Thrawn and Kabaoth kind of bicker a little more, and they end up landing on... Uh, Kabaoth is basically... He, he says he's allowing Thrawn... One final chance. This is sort of his big dickin attempt, you know, because he's 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 pretending he's the you know the Napoleon of all this when he's just a an addled elderly roided out man in a bathrobe. Uh, but he's going to allow Thrawn one final chance to deliver his Jedi's before he takes matters into his own hands. Uh, but that leads us to Chapter Two, where we oh, catch the, up. Like the second to last line in Chapter One, uh, Plan does a mental shrug, and I was just angry at that. <laughs> <laughs> At least he didn't mentally cross his fingers. Stop stop doing mental <laughs> physical movements, Zon. Please, for the love of God. Uh, I did me- I did mental backflips as I scanned the scientific papers. Yes. Um, yeah, which... I'd say that Zon is mentally jerking himself off. <laughs> We've had it with Timothy Zahn. Fucking done. This is um, worth, This isn't as bad as Dark Force Rising, but this is really like the <laughs> murder of the author. But we also got so pissed off at him. We've turned. We have turned on him. 
This is this is the twist in the. I podcast. mean, chapter two opens with the words, uh, "It was called the Callius Saj Lilu," and I'm like, "What is this fucking like a, a, a Nick Junior show, Lilu?" <laughs> What the, the city, hell? It, it continues with Nick Juniorism by saying the city of glowing crystal of Burchest. But I will say it is it's something that's kind of described, and I will I will I'll allow credit for that. Uh, so apparently, this is a city carved out of a titanic salt crystal that has accreted over time next to the dark orange Lafari Sea as it throws mist up on a bluff as the waves crash. And this is this is uh, accreted a giant salt crystal that. The uh, the Burchestians have created a city, and, and it was a tourist trap during the old Republic days. Um, but the Rebellion War had left it cut off from casual travel, so it shifted gears into using its well-worn contact routes to uh, trade and distribution. And as an interesting history note, I would just like to point out that this is the reverse of what happened to Venice. Uh, Venice, of course, the Venetian Republic as an independent state, a city-state, was uh, one of the the great uh, mercantile powers of the Mediterranean during the uh, Middle Ages and into the uh, the early modern period. Whereafter, after the rise of the Atlantic empires of uh, France and Spain and England circumvented the uh, kind of Mediterranean trade route, it diminished in importance and then turned to tourism. Uh, so I thought that was a fun and, little and and which Star Wars book was this in? Uh, this was in, uh, Star Wars Darksaber. But anyway, enough of, enough of the history lessons. I know that's not what, uh, everyone came here for. No, this is a Star Wars Yeah, you're, Wars not, you're not here for real history. You're for fake nonsense. <laughs> I'm for fucking lore, all right? Not history. I'm talking Stu- lore. Stupid, stupid fake words like, uh, Sivivran and Kataris, <laughs> which are other apparent trade cities in they're, they're the They're more successful. Universe. Yes. They're they're better than uh, Burchest, um, but anyway. So this this planet happens to be in the Imperial control zone, uh, so the city is being patrolled by stormtroopers, and Luke Skywalker is there, and he he avoids the uh, stormtroopers by kind of pulling his hood over his face and acting casual, uh, but it works because you know Star Wars. Um, but you see, Luke is there to trace the source of the clones. That are staffing all of these um, the Imperial military these days. And New Republic spooks have identified Burchest as one of the kind of transit nodes where they're being transported. Uh, they're kind of flowing through this place onto other, you know, to, to other uh, their ultimate destination. Uh, so they figure a good chance to find out where these clones are coming from is to find them on Burchest and follow it back to the source. So Luke is using his Force powers to try to sniff out some clones. But as he does so, he notices that there is someone following him and watching him. So he takes a detour down a pedestrian bridge till they get to a little isolated spot uh, away from the crowds where he can kind of fine-tune his force dar, and he identifies who this is approaching. So with a sigh, he stops and waits to meet them as they approach. It's Talon Card! Yes, everybody! Fan favorite! Talon Card! Is uh, thereby coincidence. I, mean, I, I guess. I mean, I... I hate him less than several other characters. Uh, we do know that on his trading card likeness is based on Timothy Zahn himself, so there you have it. I think in one of our first episodes, I said that my mental picture of him is Paul Giamatti. <laughs> I think that's pretty good. I think we can we can stick with that. And I, I think, think that would really sell like his exasperated uh, attempts to stay neutral. Yes, yes. Ah, jeez! Which is really... <sighs> 
like about okay it's coming up a little later but i i have some thoughts on that on that neutrality uh but anyway it turns out he's on Burchest on business uh so for many years he has run a smuggling operation in cooperation with the governor there so he's keeping that thing ticking along neutrally um no, this is actually, this is a, a time to get into it. I think it's fucking insane that he's still trying to pretend or act like he's neutral when he committed his entire fleet of spaceships to attacking Imperial military Star Destroyers. How the fuck are you well, walking you know, away it, from that? Well, you know, it's like how the United States was technically neutral before Pearl Harbor. Sure, they were, <laughs> they were given all the... All the the Lend Lease Act and such, but you yeah. know they were still they were still uh, they were still keeping it neutral. Well, they, but yeah, it... I, I get you, I get your point that the talent card is seeming unnecessarily uh, <laughs> on the fence here. Yeah, it's really crazy, and I because I thought like I thought that was part of like the the plot movement of Dark Force Rising, right? I thought that that meant like oh, talent card is now going to be like brought in on the side of the New Republic. That that would have to it's be just, what happens here. What, what it is, is it's just prolonging the inevitable of... Because we know we're going to get a scene eventually where Taloncar is like, okay, I'm throwing in with the, the New Republic. Right, right. Because that's, hap- that's going to happen. I, like, yeah. I, I bet the life of your firstborn on it. <laughs> well, uh, all right. Well, let's hope that it, that is how it comes to pass. Um, and, and since it's on a podcast, that's a guarantee that's ironclad. That is, that's true. Yeah. There's no getting around that one. So we'll, we'll have to see. I might be apologizing to my dear sweet daughter. Um, McCard asks after Mara Jade and uh, Luke tells her she's still recovering from, uh, as we mentioned, getting her bell rung during that battle, which has taken some, uh, rather extensive neural pathway restructuring or something or rehabilitation or something anyway, but I I can't just say brain damage. Right, <laughs> I can't just say she's brain damaged and like is recovering. That just seems like a, that just seems like a euphemism. It's like, oh yeah, she had some uh, light neural uh, a pathway uh, uh, damage. It's like, <laughs> no, it, it's she, like no, her she, brain got all fucked up. She got, she got, yeah, got kind of fucked up and scrambled. Um, and so because uh, well, later on it talks about how she gets oxygen deprived for a period of time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Um, yeah, we'll have our our Mara Jade hospital scene here coming up. Um, wouldn't it be just a sidebar? Wouldn't it be a great twist if, like, for this book, Mara Jade was just like sort of dumb? <laughs> you mean like, like Luke Skywalker? Lost, like she lost forty IQ points, and that's that's how she falls in love with Luke. <laughs> yeah, like she becomes stupid. <laughs> She's on his level finally. Oh, I hope that is what that's happens. that's that's going to be my head cannon for yeah. why they. Never right, fall as they eventually get together, she, her massive brain damage from Dark Force Rising. Um, but Card, Card and Luke are kind of feeling each other out here. Uh, Card, you know, uh, Card's asking, uh, like, oh, well, or Luke's asking, like, well, what are you doing here? And he's like, wandering the city. You? Luke replies, the same. And then Card's like, hoping to see a familiar face or two, or three or four or five, hinting about the, the clones thing. Uh, so Luke offers to buy any information Card might have on the clone situation, but it's probably too rich for his blood. Uh, Luke and Card talk over the wider situation. Card is kind of surprised that the New Republic is freaking out so much, since uh, you know the shortest time a stable clone can be generated is a year. Everybody knows that. But then Luke drops the bomb, that according to their analysis of those clone bodies they recovered from the Katana, these were being grown in 15 to 20 days. 
Uh, Card then lets Luke know that Yukio has fallen. And this is a, a, a bread basket, honestly, similar to Ukraine. I think you might be onto something there, uh, Ron. It's, uh, it's a big food exporter. Yukio. The Yukio. I call it the Yukio. That's not just the pre- to piss them off. Not the preferred just to piss usage. Off the, the weirdos on Twitter. Yes, not the preferred usage. Uh, but anyway, it's vast foodstuffs must be going to feed this new clone army. Luke reasons. So despite all of this, Card remains reticent to throw in with the Republic, as he does not trust the smuggler-hating Akbar not to uh, fuck Card's shit up. But Card is willing to go into the information brokering business. Uh, you know, starting with the trade. So he wants Luke to spill the beans on, you know, what kind of intel got the Republic to zero in on Burchest. But Luke decides instead, like, hey, how about I confirm that there are, in fact, clones here? Uh, because his spidey sense just went off. He's feeling that, that weird aura that he feels when clones are around. Uh, so they, they no, kind of... No, just, just going back to a bit to, like, Talon Card's reticence to, like, uh, throw in with the uh, New Republic, it kind of reminds me of how uh, Bernie Iblis refused to, like, Join the New Republic as such. He wants to like remain an independent senator of, Ver- of Vermont <laughs> system or whatever. Vermont. Yeah, because because Talon Card also brings up uh like we we might have forgotten before because because uh, a lot has happened since then. But uh, remember that the Amon Calamari have always hated smugglers, and yes. now that uh, now that the uh, the uh, Admiral Akbar email scandal has been uh, has been, settled, <laughs> it's been cleared up, uh, yeah. And he's back on the council. Uh, Talon Card, uh, I guess, rightfully fears that you know uh, the New Republic might crack down on uh, the 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 smuggling stuff. But but Luke tries to say like, you know, you don't think Akbar's going to have time to worry about smugglers, do you? And then Card goes, not really, but I'm not willing to risk my life on it either. So this is why this is kind of why I actually have a more sunnier view of this whole uh, card reticence to join the Republic thing because yeah I like it I like it I like how in this books there's still like characters with with different agendas yeah yeah because yeah. I think it makes it more interesting than if everyone everyone was divvied up on two sides right on good or evil that's a good point that's a good point perhaps we've been too hard on card. And, and, and Timothy's well we've not been too hard on Timothy Zahn he's gotten a free pass for too fucking long uh, but card I'm yeah I think, to... I think card re- card remains a uh, well let's just say he remains a wild card am I right Ooh. folks <laughs> that's right which which as uh, astute listeners may recall was uh, one of the original titles of heir to the Empire was wild card also in one of the names is his stupid ships. It was, yes. <clears throat> it is also the name of one of the stupid ships. God, that was stupid. It's very stupid. And it would have been even stupider if that was the title of the book. So, we were robbed of something well, special. wouldn't fucking George R. R. Martin sue if that was the case? <laughs> Maybe. I think it's I think it's a common enough... I think you have, you have like, a prior usage there. You can't really... Yeah, but if you, like, come up with a sci-fi novel called Wild Cards, you know that... There's a series called Wild Cards. Already. Oh, but but Ronnie, it would be Wild Card. the The trademark is for Wild Cards. Totally different. It's like if I tried to put out a book called Animorphs, but there's a there's a Y in there, so it's different. <laughs> I think you should try that. Get get sued by K. A. Applegate. <laughs> that would be a lot of fun. Uh, I would hate to be sued by Kay Applegate. She's a she's a good uh, person. She 
She does seem I'm like a, pretty. A, I'm yeah. like a certain. I'm like a certain uh, writer of of baby books. She's not a transphobe, so that's very good. That. A certain unnamed uh, writer who goes by uh, initials for the first part of her name. That's right, George R. R. Martin. No <laughs> transphobe. George Railroad Martin got your ass dead to rights on transphobia. Um, but no, uh, no, that, we're we're just kidding, folks. We only hate George R. R. Martin because. He uh he refuses to finish a book we're probably all gonna hate anyway. <laughs> That's true. Uh and we also hate Timothy Zahn because he said paper. Uh but uh so they they go and intercept where this uh kind of they, they narrow it down. There's a uh, like a cargo carrier on this on this busy uh street through the middle of town, you know, hover car or something. Uh and and you know they Luke gets close enough he can't see in but he gets close enough that there's no doubt it's the same sort of weird vibes he got from the clones back on the katana, so uh, you know he confirms that with Card. Card says you know what I'll I'll be in touch, and uh, we'll find out more about this and be sure that that credit line the Republic sets up is generous. Hey, hey my man's got to get paid. Uh, but throughout all of this, the two have been observed from the wonderfully named Central Government Tower One. Uh, where the governor of Burchest, Governor Staffa, was watching with his macro binoculars along with his assistant Fingal. I have a question. What the fuck are macro binoculars? How are they different from binoculars? They're the ones, uh, do you remember in uh, the beginning of Empire Strikes Back when uh, uh, they're, they're looking for the, uh, the, like the probe droid or whatever, and they have those electric binoculars that zoom in and out and stuff? Yes. It's those. It's those. Okay. Yeah. I have another I have another point I want to make uh before you get into the summarization. Um All right. in in this uh Governor Staffa has a has a subordinate named Fingal, and I got really excited until I realized it was probably impossible that Timothy Zahn was making a reference to Overdrawn at the Memory Bank. <laughs> one of my favorite uh <laughs> movies that was made into an MST three K episode because you yeah. remember Raul Julia's character was named Aram Fingal. Aram Fingal. Now, now here's the thing, though. It may have been, because as we all know, science fiction writers are, are lonely perverts, and they only have each other, so they all know each other. Uh, Overdrawn, the Memory Bank, was based on a short story by John Varley, who is a real-deal author. I've read and enjoyed several of his books. Um, and that was first published in 78, 79? Um... So it's not impossible that this was a shot. Now, I don't think it's very likely uh, just because it's not one of John Varley's major works. It's honestly kind of odd that they decided to make that into a movie. But I do think uh, Overdrawn the Memory Bank counts as the first cyberpunk movie, though. Uh, I, I guess Blade that, Runner beats, beats one, it out. One but. of Ronnie's top five uh, MST3Ks, by the way. It is a masterpiece. It is very, very good. Um, and that same, yeah, that, that actually was, might be, that, that might've been the first MST3K I ever watched actually. And maybe so for me too. Cause it was that season that I finally was able to, I figured out when it came on. Cause it used to be, I would just kind of randomly see it every now and then. Uh, but that's when I started religiously watching. Well, I, only, I was only, I, I was only cognizant of MST3K by the time it reached uh, the sci-fi channel. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. <clears throat> um, but enough about, enough about Aaron Fingal. <laughs> <laughs> so we went I don't know. I'd be, I'd be perfectly satisfied if we just spent the rest of the podcast reminiscing <laughs> about MSC3K and just talking about how funny that episode was. An interesting thing about that uh, that movie Overdrawn at the Memory Bank that was part of a series of kind of a- attempts at making 
TV movies out of kind of literary science fiction. There was also in that. Yeah, scene, wasn't it for wasn't it for PBS? Yeah, it was a it was the PBS affiliate in New York, and they also made a TV movie out of the Ursula K. Le Guin novel, The Lathe of Heaven, which I've always meant to track down. I would like to see that. Let's see what they did with it. Uh, anyway, but he turns out Fingal turns out as a source for Thrawn. Uh, as as we'll we'll find out a little bit later, but uh, anyway. Uh, Staffa instructs Fingal to send a message to the Imperials that Skywalker was sighted and was allowed to continue on unmolested because those were the directions that Thrawn gave him. Uh, but he stopped. I, I actually, I actually do like uh, this uh, portion of the the chapter where it says uh, Staffa thought he saw an odd glint in the little man's eye, some strange trick of the outer office light. Of course, next to his unbending loyalty for his governor, Fingal's most prominent and endearing attribute was equally unbending lack of imagination. <laughs> this is like just bashing Fingal. <laughs> it's it's awesome. Yeah, I, I do I do like the idea that like an odd glint out of the little man's eye, and we of course with some you know the audience knows that that's not a strange trick of the outer office light. He is just having an evil little gleam go. Because he is a secret spy. I mean, I don't know. I also how you... like how that's the ex- the extent to which Fingal is described. He's described as little. <laughs> as a little man. He's a little guy. So he's, you know, a, a Daniel-heighted man. Yes. Hey. All right. Look, just because Fingal is an Irish name, it <laughs> doesn't mean we can compare him to everyone else who happens to have that, you know, descent. Uh... This unimaginative, bald, small loser. <laughs> probably, works, probably works as a librarian. <laughs> Imagine working in a library without paper. Uh, it's in the movies. It's in those prequels. That, the, those don't count, remember? Oh, that's right. We talked about it. Yeah, you're right. Only the original uh, the original trilogy and the, the holiday special... And the Ewok movies and the droids cartoon and these books are canon. That's true, that's true. Well, we do get, uh, later in the Mara Jade section, we get a little insight into what libraries are like without paper. So we'll we'll find out there. That's true. Yeah. But anyway, uh, so Staffa, uh, blah, 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 blah. Um, So uh, something I thought was a little strange is that Timothy Zahn is really, he does not reveal what the actual special deliveries card makes for Staffa are. He keeps making it like the last line in the chapter is Staffa leaned back in his chair and began to consider how he would use the shipment that cards people were even now unloading at the landing field. How he would use the shipment. What is this? Ah, it's a masterful mystery that Timothy has given us. But that does lead us into spice or whatever. I don't don't know. We don't know. I mean, it sounds like it's drugs (laughs) from the way he's talking about it. That would be pretty hilarious if it turned out to be drugs. Yeah, I, I, I think it was funny. Uh, but that does bring us to chapter three, where we get the the, the... cards just slinging Fent. <laughs> Honestly, Fentanyl does sound like a made up Star Wars drug name. Sure, yeah, well, that might be that might be part of the exchange. Like you know, they, we we gave them hot chocolate, they gave us fentanyl, and, and so we have to <laughs> that's what we have to deal with. Anyway, so um, we get chapter three opens with the mother of all. We we know how much Timothy Zahn loves to start a chapter with somebody waking up. 
So how, how about this one? Slowly, as if climbing a long, dark staircase, Mara Jade pulled herself out of a deep sleep. I mean, there it is. The mother of all wake-up scenes. Um, yeah, Mara Jade has been in a fucking coma for a month. <laughs> when she... I, I, think, I think my favorite part of this whole segment is when she... Silently, she rolled out of bed into a crouching position on the floor, taking a quick inventory of her physical condition as she did so. No aches or pains, no dizziness or obvious injuries. It's like, yeah, that's what I do when I wake up every morning. I take a quick inventory of my physical condition. <laughs> now, do I have any obvious injuries? No? Okay, I guess I'm good until and some obscure ones come up. I do it in a crouching position for some reason. Yeah, yeah. A crouching position on the floor. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, so she slips into the robe. And, uh, and and gets kind of, you know, she's looking around. She gets out the door. And who is there out there waiting for her? It's Ghent. Fan favorite, Ghent. The Slicer. Uh, apparently he's been posted up. Uh, they Ghent, of course, was agreed to uh, be sent over to Coruscant to help the New Republic track down what happened with those, uh, with those uh, money transfers that landed in Akbar's account. Apparently, this was like not very hard at all for Gen. He cleared it up within a day and got uh, Akbar's name cleared and everything. But uh, but now he's still hanging around one to keep an eye on Mara, but also because he has uh, he's heard about this uh, well this this Delta Delta source that's been uh, causing so much trouble. But so he he's actually kind of detected the encrypted. Uh, signals going out. So he is now working on un- unencrypting Delta Source. So we'll finally be able... We all know my my suspicions on Delta Source. And my suspicions were strengthened with this chapter. With a couple of things. Because I suspect it's Winter. And Winter ends up having a pretty colorful past. Uh, for, well, let's uh, see. There's like one candidate to be the Delta Source. So... <laughs> It's are probably you not, winter. Are you not congratulating me on my <laughs> on my on Your my deductive, deductive reasoning? Work? Yeah. Uh, but anyway, speaking. I do of like speaking, a, I do like how this has has uh, Palpatine's uh, italicized "You will kill Luke Skywalker" in all caps happening again. Yes, and yes. It just reminds me of the the shinning uh, segment on Chaos <laughs> of Horror where where Mo is just exasperated that Homer hasn't killed his family yet. Yeah, it's getting to that point. It is. Well, see, that's my theory. I, I in re, it was specifically when that came up that I think the you know we always like to speculate on what the titular line is or what the, was being referenced uh, by by our titles, right? Uh, Dark Force Rising ended up being the stupidest one I have ever encountered in my life reading stupid books. Um, but I think the Last Command refers to this one last order from the Emperor to Mara Jade. I think. The struggle is going to be, will Mara, you know, go through with this last command, or will she not? That's my that's my guess, anyway. I'm going to hazard a guess and say, no, she's not going to kill Luke Skywalker in this book. <laughs> she's lost her 40 IQ points. She's ready to settle down with the man. Um, but uh, speaking of uh, of, uh, of Winter, as, as Mara's having this exchange with Ghent, uh, Winter... Uh, as I said, glided into the room. A tall woman with pure white hair glided into the room. Hello, Mara, she said, smiling gravely. My name is Winter. How do you smile gravely? That seems. I like also a... noticed that. I also noticed that that uh, Zahn has so little confidence in being able to describe women that he just goes by hair color. 
<laughs> yep, you're right. Uh, Leia equals I, brown. I, which, Mara which equals I'm, red. Which I'm, which I'm fine with, honestly, because I think that if he went, if he described more, we'd get into the uh, sci-fi writer dilemma of being horny. You're right, getting too horny as you're as you're describing. Yeah, you're right. It's it's best to leave it. And alone. we we've given we've given Zahn a lot of shit in this episode, deservedly so. But yes. I will give him credit right now. He hasn't been horny in this in this uh, series of books. He hasn't. He hasn't. The, the The closest he gets is that we're that we are clearly supposed to know that Mara Jade is a very pretty lady. Uh, but beyond that, but it's like a, is, it's yeah. like a it's like a it's like a child's version of attractive. It's like <laughs> right. It's like how King Kong sees uh, uh, Fay Ray as, you know, pretty. That's a good point. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> Far be it for me to suggest a sci-fi writer is in some form of arrest development. Indeed, indeed. It's it's just, you know, it it, 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 it depends on what sort of stage of puberty they were at when they <laughs> when their development was arrested as to what manner of pervert we're dealing with. Oh, Which, anyway. Uh, frankly, I'm glad that I don't have to spend my uh, Monday nights for for however long talking about a sci-fi author's horniness with a 56-year-old man. <laughs> now, we can make that a spinoff. I can, we can explore this if you want. I have a few choice uh, selections that we can dig into, but uh, perhaps we'll save it. Perhaps we'll save that for behind the Patreon paywall. That'll that'll make that'll if make we ever get around to that. Fucking uh, puritanical zoomers who can't handle sex scenes in movies. <laughs> so anyway, um, moving moving along, Winter uh, and Mara are having a little conversation. Uh, Winter extends the official thanks of the New Republic to her for uh, coming to their aid. Um, Mara's a little. Well, she actually literally looks sideways at the white-haired woman. Mara threw a sideways look at the white-haired woman. Because um, she had read the Emperor's files and the Rebellion leaders, including Leia Organa, and the name Winter wasn't ringing any bells at all. So she asks, like, well, how long have you been with Organa Solo? And uh, Winter explains that she grew up with her in the royal court, but then during the height of the Rebellion, Winter spent most of the war moving from planet... She says, I spent most of the war moving from planet to planet, working with supply and procurement. If my colleagues could get me into a warehouse or depot on some pretext, I could draw a map for them where the items were that they wanted. It made the subsequent raids quicker and safer. And Mara... I mean, this is just that meme of Nathan Fielder, like, uh, a picture of Nathan Fielder smiling, and then, like, all (laughs) my friends are out of frame. Exactly. But I do think it's funny that the, you know, what she was doing was using her eidetic, you know, photographic memory to go case the joint. Like, she was just going and casing warehouses for them, the thugs, to come steal stuff. Uh, but and I thought this was interesting. The, the, the great the great line, so you were the one called Targeter, the one with the perfect memory. Yes. <laughs> so this and then this... Winter goes, yes, that was one of my code names. I had many others over the years, and I'm just trying uh-huh. to think of like, what the other ones were like. Maybe she was like, the rememberer. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the map maker Thinko Think th- Thinko the rememberer aha yeah but this this is where this yeah is it's, where... it's a very ham fisted attempt at like trying to to wedge uh, not wedge Antilles to right, wedge right. the verb uh, uh, winter, winter into, into the the, the, the narrative trilogy right exactly and it also this is where this is some stuff in support of my thesis. 
that Winter is the leaky boat. She's Delta Source because she has a fucking intelligence background. And you know what happens to those people? They get flipped. They get turned into double agents. I'm telling you. I've seen, I've seen fucking spy movies. I know what happens. Well, you were enchanted with that. I was enchanted with the, the subsequent paragraph where they talk about the turbo lifts that the Emperor had installed into the Imperial Palace. So I'm like, so that was the one thing that the emperor did to the imperial palace, which was to add elevators. And it makes me wonder, like, who was using this palace before there was an emperor? Right? I guess the New Republic. Yeah, well, I guess so, yeah, because there's... I mean, the Republic, the Old Republic. The Old Republic, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I think, well, I guess so, because there, there's a mention made later. <laughs> but, I, but, I was just, but I was just laughing, thinking, like, the, the Emperor finally takes power. You know, we've seen Ian McDermott. He's, like, he was like fucking 80 years old when, when the prequels happen. It's like, the first yeah. thing he does is, like, fuck these staircases. I've installed some <laughs> turbo lifts. We're I'm not walking up all this shit. Lifts. So, I, I guess, I guess the, the, you know, see... Ask and, and, and Zahn shall, uh, shall, shall give unto you. Because I'm wondering, like, well, okay, what did they do before it was an emperor's palace? It, uh, the turbo lift left them out on the president's guest's floor, one of the few sections of the palace that the emperor had left strictly alone during his reign. So I guess this was a presidential palace. Uh, whoever the... But was there a president of the Old Republic? I mean, I guess Zahn... could have been. The, I mean... I, the prequels I, didn't have it. I was... I was going to bring up the prequels, but let's remember they're not canon. But the prequels did have the Chancellor. Yeah, that's true. That that was a uh, fucking uh, what was his? Uh, um, that was Hitler's played... office. No, oh, you're not talking about that. I, I, was... <laughs> I, I was no, I wasn't bringing up. For once, I was not going to bring up Adolf Hitler. <laughs> uh, that was. The Chancellor in uh, Phantom Menace was Terrence Stamp, uh, Valorum. Oh, Zod. okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and then and then he somehow got voted out in the Senate by a child. Yes. <laughs> one of one of George Lucas's many brilliant narrative decisions to make the yeah the a child the uh, the yeah oh boy. Um, <laughs> so anyway, yes. So uh, Mara gets her. She has her guest quarters. There, they have hand-carved exotic wood furnishings, and they have real hinged doors, not those sliding doors, like, you know, fancy, you know, future times. Uh, so she's kind of getting, uh, getting uh, settled. And I thought this was a, this was a fun touch. Uh, this particular suite was done largely in Fijisi wood from Carduin. And there's a fun little, uh, a car, an Uin planet. So that's the third that we know of because you had Dantooine and Tatooine in A New Hope and now we have Carduine. That's fun. Uh, I'm just surprised that after thousands of years this wood still smells. I, yeah, I noticed that as well. I, you know, future stuff. I don't know. Fijisi wood. Man, it's, that's the good stuff. <laughs> but, uh, but one one moment that I thought was uh, pretty fun was that she's going through her stuff and she finds the uh, the holster for her little tiny holdout blaster, but the blaster was missing, of course. Uh, and so uh, she has the the idea. She she was like, "Gonna look, at, uh, you know, looking for a duplicate in the New Republic's arsenals would probably be a waste of effort." Though she was tempted to ask Winter one just to see the reaction. Fortunately, there was another way. 
Each residential floor of the Imperial Palace had an extensive library, and in each of those libraries was a multi-card set entitled The Complete History of Corvus Minor. Given how unexceptional most of Corvus Minor's history had been, the odds Corvus of anyone, Minor catching strays. The odds of anyone actually pulling the set off the shelf were extremely slim. <laughs> Which, given there were no actual data cards in the box, was just as well. Yes, this is part of the secret scroll hiding weapons around the palace in the complete history of Corvus Minor. And my immediate thought was like, I would be the guy. I would be like the one guy to go looking for that. And get pissed off that there was a gun inside of it. Why the fuck is there a gun in this this book? (laughs) Like, I guess just just by way of example of the the depths I can get into, I, um, last year, uh, listeners may know, of course, I I have embarked on a a multi-year exploration of uh, the science of paleontology and especially uh, research on mammal-like reptiles of the Permian and Triassic. Very fascinating topic to me. And so I'm drilling down, I'm drilling to down, you, I'm drilling down to, you. to me. Fascinating to you. Yes. So I'm drilling down and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting my hands on stuff. And, you know, eventually you get to a point where uh, I was using interlibrary loan to, to get some material to continue, you know, reading up on this stuff. And um, there was one that I requested and our very sweet interlibrary loan librarian uh, got back in touch with me and was like, Hi, yeah, there are only two copies of this in, like, any libraries in the entire country, and both of those libraries want to charge you $50 to get it. <laughs> so, so I was like, okay, I'll just pass on that. But she was able to get me a free PDF of the whole thing. So now I just own it, which is great. Um, Before we move on to the next uh, segment of this chapter, I want to point out that and we haven't uh, discussed this in previous books because I didn't really care that much. Mm-hmm. But I do think that the exchange between Winter and um, Mara Jade uh, fulfills the, uh, or rather, or rather ensures that the book has passed the Bechdel test. Oh, you're right. Uh, listeners, listeners not in the know, will, uh, the Bechdel test is basically two named uh, female characters have a discussion about something that's not a man. And, right. uh, and, you know, say what you will about Timothy Zahn, but he passed the Bechdel test, which is not an actual, like, you know, academic or, or literary <laughs> it's, test. It's, it's, it's kind not of just like all a, that useful it, analysis. Yeah. It was a fun thing that uh, a cartoonist came up with for a comic strip. But right, right. people have given it undue significance. But it just popped out at me that, like, wow, they're... Because Star Wars is not does not have a wealth of female characters. <laughs> not exactly a deep bench of female characters. You got uh, you got Leia. You have Mon Mothma, and then you have uh, dancing slave girls and uh, the the singing monster. I think that you might have, be it. You have like you have a handful of you have a handful of female characters, and most of them are related to each other. So right, yeah. right, right, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, uh, Mara's now strapped. She's got her pistol from the uh, the decoy copy of the world's most boring history book that I thought actually sounds pretty interesting. Um, and so from there, we cut back to uh, Thrawn. Thrawn. Thrawn raised his glowing red eyes from the putrid-looking alien artwork displayed on the <laughs> double display ring surrounding his command chair. <laughs> well, that's so I'm just such thinking, a... So I'm just a- 
<laughs> I'm just imagining that he's looking at like the piss Christ or something. He's look. He's looking at. Uh, he's looking at a fucking uh, fake dog vomit from the gag store, <laughs> and he thinks it's art. <laughs> it's yeah, putrid well, looking. But the next, the next sentence, yeah, the next sentence calls it a woostroid statue. Okay, woostroid statue. They're they're putrid art. Yeah. From from the Jeeves uh-huh. and Wooster planet. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, this is another bit of Thrawn and Kabaoth bickering at each other about how they're gonna fulfill Kabaoth's Those desires. corn muffins were lousy. Those corn is another. Fence. It's another paint my chicken coop uh, exchange. Um, but I it do like how I do like how they're arguing over who rules the empire. They're arguing over who like, rules the empire. Yeah, Kabeoth's going to oh, try to make see. his move. Let's see. Thrawn has, has uh, you know, untold numbers of ships in his command, whereas uh, Joris Kabeoth is a bipolar old man in a dirty bathrobe who has magic tricks. <laughs> yes. But they do have... I, I thought this was fun as they, they have their exchanges. They're, they're kind of discussing how are they going to get to Leia because now she's on Coruscant, which is, of course, a very heavily fortified planet no, not going to be as easy a nut to crack as uh, yukio was uh but it mentions here um uh he gestured toward the holographic statues filling the room the people and leaders of Wustri, on the other hand are a different matter entirely like the yukians they have a strong fear of the unknown and what they perceive to be impossible equally important they have a tendency to magnify rumors of menace far out of proportion the cloaked cruiser stratagem should work quite well there yeah, uh, but to uh, it's or, just you know the same as the Ukraine people. Well, they're really. just they're just he's he's over there. I think Wooster that must be space Polish. I mean, I don't know. Uh, they're just going around. He's, he's just going around checking all the art for who the rubes are, <laughs> so he can go steal their planets. All of their spaceships have screen doors. <laughs> their light bulb technology is severely lacking. Uh, but anyway, uh, so this is all about getting Leia and stealing the twins. Uh, so Thrawn now has uh, the idea to send a commando team to Coruscant, a small force inserted, you know, secretly into Coruscant. Uh, Kabaoth is like, oh, no, not more Nogri. And then uh, Thrawn is like, oh, yeah, 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 the Nogri are not going to be involved. Um, it's almost as though Zahn is reassuring us that he's not going to make the mistake he made in the second book. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. No, 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 don't worry. There's, there's those gray-skinned little Darth Vader motherfuckers aren't going to be in this. Don't yeah, worry. yeah, they're yeah. Uh, no, we don't have to worry about that. Uh, so they also kind of bring up that uh, say not a no. Oh yeah, this is this was I thought was funny. This kind of hand waves away the nogri. Uh, Thrawn lowered his eyes to the collection of holographic sculptures surrounding them. There's something wrong with the nogri, Captain. He said quietly. I don't yet know what it is, but I know it's there. <laughs> I can sense it with every communication I have with the dynasts on Honegger. Uh Peleon thought back to that awkward scene a month ago when that painfully apologetic envoy from the Nogri dynasts had come aboard with the news that the suspected traitor Kabarak had escaped from their custody. So far, despite their best efforts, they've been unable to capture him. So, I, that's what the Nogri are doing for this whole thing, I hope, is just pretending to try to catch Kabarak and we never have to hear from them again. Here's something that... that uh struck me Thrawn says in the course of uh, discussing the the whole uh, Leia twin situation with Kabath mm-hmm. Organa Solo's twins are due to be born any day now and I'm thinking like 
Yeah, you can sure tell from the way Zahn has been writing Leia. <laughs> yeah, any day yep. now. When I read, when I read, when I read uh, the Leia scenes, I think, "Yup, nine months pregnant." Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very, very odd. Like, is yeah? Was she going to like on one last diplomatic mission like a week before she was due? What the hell? Also, not to cast aspersions on the uh, the life beliefs of Mister Zahn, but. There's some really strange passages where uh, he's, from the perspective of Leia, talking about how she's, like, sort of having, like, fucking uh, mind link with the unborn twins. And I'm thinking, like, Timothy Zahn, pro-life question mark? (laughs) Yeah, he does do a lot of that, the little minds and all that stuff, which... If, yeah, it's like it, the it, last it, time I saw somebody so interested in the unborn, he was working for the Babylon Bee, folks. Yeah, ooh, hey. I would say if you've if you spent any time around a newborn, they, they do not have minds. I mean, they're wonderful, and, and you, you, you take care of them and raise them up, and, you know, it's a wonderful little bundle. But they're, they're, a, they're a sleeping and eating machine. They are not... That's not a mind, but... That takes a few weeks to do. <laughs> I mean, I mean, Zod does say like uh, the twins don't understand like uh, words or anything. They they deal exclusively in like feelings and pictures. Ah, yes. Well, there you go. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I, I also love the 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 sense. This is like not really related to anything, but it's just play on brace himself for another explosion of clone madness. <laughs> yes, which I thought was very evocative. In fact, I'm going to do a little search on the phrase clone madness right now, because we've already seen it twice. Oh, word, it happens three times, but all three of those times are in our reading today. It never comes up again. Weird. All right. Yeah, Uh, so, like, this whole, this whole, like, argument is basically about, like, the, getting us, getting SEAL Team Imperial 6 to... Coruscant to like uh, abduct uh, Organa Solo and yes, like... and also uh, neutralize Mara Jade because they kind of yeah. they kind of realized as they're talking that like okay well like you know our the the Mount Tantus on Wayland was only known to a handful of top officials and then Pleon's kind of like ooh and Mara Jade. What I find funny is that what I find funny is that Thrawn says neutralizing Jade does not necessarily mean killing her, which. Gave me the the mental image of like uh, one of the fucking SEAL team guys just whomping her on the head with a with a sock full of pennies, <laughs> or like a rubber mallet, just boing. Or it's just like or just like <laughs> assessing her. It's like, well, she had too much she had too much oxygen deprivation. She's already too dumb to remember. <laughs> That's right. She's did you see her making goo goo eyes at Luke Skywalker? She's not a threat to anybody. She's fine. Uh. But yeah, that so that actually pretty much wraps up uh, chapter three. Yeah, so we we kind of round off with the the plan being they're going to be you know sending SEAL Team Imperial Six to Coruscant to uh, kidnap Organa Solo, and uh, oh no no that's right another angle of the plan is that the uh, the the clone transport that Luke is following uh, to try to track where they're going is actually a decoy that's leading him to a star system where there's an Imperial ambush waiting for him. Uh, so that. Is how they're going to get Luke Skywalker again. So all these Imperials are setting up all their their plans. We'll see how everything goes in the uh, the next segment of uh, the Last Command. 
So um, I guess for right now, Ronnie, so how, I, I know you mentioned the first chapter was a little rough. You know, we did, felt pretty bad going in, but it has it did have an upswing, I think, in these last two. I could do without all the bickering with the crazy old man stuff, but um, at least I think we have our stakes. We have what our MacGuffins are, and we have kind of the intimations of what the next few beats are going to be. So I, I feel like we're back I, in good hands. I think Zon, although we yeah. hate him now, I think he's kind of back. I think he's. For, I think for he's the back. Paper debacle. <laughs> for the paper debacle, I will never forgive him. But I can respect the craft going on here. I will say the third chapter near the end has something interesting that I want to highlight, which is uh, Thrawn brings up the fact that he used to uh, disobey the Emperor, and and uh, I'll just I'll just read it verbatim. Yeah, yeah. took a step toward Thrawn's command seat, eyes blazing even hotter, and then abruptly he seemed to shrink again to normal size. He would never speak that way to the Emperor, he said, almost petulantly. On the contrary, Thrawn told him, on no fewer than four occasions I told the Emperor that I would not waste his troops and ships attacking an em- enemy which I was not yet prepared to defeat. Kabea snorted. Only fools spoke that way to the Emperor, he sneered. Fools are those tired of life. The Emperor also thought that way, Thrawn agreed. The first time I refused, he called me a traitor and gave my attack force to someone else. Grand Admiral reached up again to stroke his Yalsamari. After its destruction, he knew better than to ignore my recommendations. Which part of it, partially it seems a bit of a stretch that like uh, the emperor would tolerate such insubordination, but also it shows that Thrawn actually has like some sort of tactical ability that is that is useful to the empire. Yeah, yeah. That was that you're right. I think so, that's that's. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Also, I just find it interesting in general to like get some more backstory about how Thrawn fit into the the empire before it fell, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I think, I think that's good. It, it does. You're right. Like it is a fine, like, and it, and it lets him do his, uh, his calm collected genius bit, you know, his magnificent bastard routine. And of course he's, he's petting. He's like, he's like fucking Blofeld petting his cat when he talks about it with the Salamiri, which is pretty Petting good. is force repelling salamander. That's right. That's right. Well, that's uh yeah. So we're, that wraps up our, uh, our, uh, recap. We're looking forward to the rest of it. We'll see where everything goes from here. But now, of course, is the most important aspect of the podcast. Ladies, gentlemen, non-binary listeners, uh, now in these tumultuous times, these times of partisan division, these times where it just seems like no one is willing to hear someone out, to reach across the aisle and have a real conversation. Well, we're here to change that on Thronderdome. And introducing for season three our new segment into the Thronderdome, where Ronnie and I will debate the issues of the day. This is brand new; you've never heard anything like it before. Uh, but I think we can bring a little bit of healing to this land, and perhaps even a little bit of understanding. So, Ronnie, what are we going to debate tonight? We're discussing the usually uh, on this uh, segment we discuss non-Star Wars things, but I think. Uh, at least uh, moving forward for the uh, first recap episode, we're going to do a Star Wars-themed uh, debate. And this one is about none other than what is what I who I like to call the new George Lucas, Dave Filoni. <laughs> That's right, the new, uh, the kind of, the hotshot impresario behind all of your favorite Star Wars television. 
Uh, he he is he is titled as the executive producer and executive creative director of Lucasfilm. Oh wow! So he gets to be he's the guy. Okay. So and I uh, just looked him up on on Google, and all four photos of him that pop up, he's wearing a cowboy hat. So I think <laughs> I'm going to take the anti position on him. <laughs> And uh, he sounds like a real, uh, a true rugged American. So I will be taking the pro position on David Felony. Um, and you know what? I, I'd, I'd like to go first if I might this time, Ronnie. Sure. All right. All right. So let us think where we are in the history of Star Wars as a media property. Birthed by George Lucas. And I do mean that he pushed it out of his body. Birthed by George Lucas shepherded into a new era by uh, by Jesse James Abrams. Um, and of course, you know, Jesse James Abrams was quietly kind of shuffled off. Uh, he, he had to go back to his home planet after uh, Rise of Skywalker. Uh, so really during during all of this there was there was one man really holding the torch, really getting people excited about Star Wars again, telling the kinds of stories people want to see. Stories about a magic baby and a man who wears a helmet. Yes, David Felony was over there making those TV shows. He was, oh, he was there at the back lots at Disney Studios in Orlando, Florida, uh, you know, creating uh, marvelous imaginary scapes. Um, I can only guess. I'm kind of going by what I've picked up because, as as all of our listeners know, Ronnie and I are Star Wars purists in that we don't uh, take in Star Wars media. We have stopped doing that. Um, so, uh, wait, wait I, until the bonus episodes of season three where we try to force ourselves through one of these shows. <laughs> oh no! Have we already decided on that? Yeah, didn't we say we're going to try like to watch an episode of The Mandalorian? I think we did say that, yeah. Oh, no, no, yeah, or or uh, the Boba Fett show, starring Boba Fett. Whatever, there's the same dipshit in a helmet. <laughs> but yes, um, but yeah, yeah, we will we will try that later. But uh, yeah, so through through all this, uh, keeping keeping hope alive, keeping the the little spark, much like oh, much much like Paleolithic tribes uh, migrating across the wind blown mammoth steppe would carry an ember from their last fire with them as they found a new cave, a new place to call home out of the, 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 the chilling winds and away from the gnashing fangs of the saber-toothed cats. This, this hope was born by these people carrying that ember. David Filoni is that person carrying that ember. And, uh, of course, uh, his next masterful step is coming up because we're getting the, the live-action Ahsoka show which is in part an adaptation of Heir to the Empire somehow. I'm very interested to see uh, what he's going to do with it. So so I would say strap on your spurs, get your cowboy hats on, put on those assless chaps, and let's all be a Dave Felony for a little bit. I refuse. <laughs> Can you expand my, on that, my, please? My, my, ar- my argument against Dave Filoni... Is is uh, succinct but bountiful. Um, one in all of his appearances, he seems to be wearing a cowboy hat. Which, unless you're fucking Raylan Givens from Justified, you do not in 2023 go around wearing a goddamn cowboy hat. You look like a jackass. 
<laughs> well, that's fair enough. But hey, but you know what? You know who else looked like a jackass? George Lucas. Speaking, I I have. I have some lore that will enrage you as to how <laughs> Dave Felony got hired. Ooh, all right, let's hear it's, it. This according to Wikipedia, which is 100% accurate all the time, it says, an avid Star Wars fan, particularly of character Plo Koon, Felony dressed up as the Jedi Master for the opening of Revenge of the Sith. Felony left Nickelodeon after George Lucas offered him a job, helping him develop a Star Wars animated series. To me, the way those sentences are structured suggests that those two are connected. So <laughs> Wait, somehow, what? through what f- dressing up, <laughs> cosplaying at the opening of fucking Revenge of the Sith, he got a job for George Lucas. He lived the dream. This is exactly what the fanboys wanted to have happen. This is what, what Furthermore, Linus and Hutch... Well, on the Star Wars show, Felony revealed that he originally believed he was being pranked when given the Star Wars job. Now that would be funny. I would absolutely have a lot more respect for George Lucas if he just randomly plucks nerds out of nowhere and says like, uh, yeah, you're in charge of Star Wars now. Enjoy. <laughs> also, That's Plo so Koon awesome. looks like a, it's just a masked face jerk who... Yeah, which which one is that? I don't... Is it, is I, I it, don't one, of the, is it one of the, the, the yak face Jedis or something? He's from the prequels, so he doesn't even count. Uh, lazy creature design in the prequels. He, he's one of the he's one of the council members, and you, yeah. to be frank, other than Mace Windu and Joda and and uh, and Penis Head, I don't remember any of the council members from those <laughs> movies. You don't remember Yaddle? No, I don't. The the Lady Yoda, Yaddle. She was not in the prequels. Yes, she was. She was on the fucking council. No, she wasn't. I can't believe I'm gonna have a. We're gonna have a, a the least informed Star Wars trivia argument of all time. <laughs> all right, but hold the on. Point I'm is, look, I'm, I'm still sore that Penis Head got killed. He was the best character in those movies. That's true. Yeah, yeah. She was a Jedi Master and was in charge of Jedi Initiates. She was on the Jedi High Council during the the Old Republic, the last years of the Galactic Republic. Boom, Yaddle. See, that's a that's a deep. But hole. my my larger point about Dave Filoni is, unlike George Lucas, Dave Filoni's entire creative output, other than being a storyboard artist on some cartoon shows, has been Star Wars. Whereas George Lucas cut his teeth doing like real people movies, like uh, yeah. American Graffiti and THX uh, eleven thirty eight. Right. This guy's output is solely like fucking Clone Wars and Rebels and. The Bad Batch and and the Mandalorian and all this crap. That is, like, that is yeah. But uh, you you've got to say what you will about George Lucas, that uh, turkey necked freak. He has <laughs> like he has he has an understanding of the world outside Star Wars. Whereas whereas for Dave Filoni, it seems like Star Wars is a closed circuit. And yeah. His only influences are more parts of Star Wars. Well, yeah, so it it's becomes like a... this insular, incestuous piece of nonsense that only turbo nerds could care about. <laughs> well, I think what you might get is the uh, is the xeroxing effect. You know, if you just keep iterating on xeroxing a xerox, and after about twenty, thirty times, it's just this fucking blur that's mess. It's just degraded. 
I think that's definitely what we're looking at. Oh, wait, no, I'm uh, pro. Uh, and that's great, though. I love it when a Xerox thing but, but, is Xerox but, too much. For, for, exa- for example, Ashoka, this upcoming show, apparently it's a spinoff of The Mandalorian, but also taking place between the, the, the original trilogy and the sequel trilogy, and it's also a continuation of some cartoon called Star Wars Rebels. Like, and and it's based on a character created for a cartoon show called Clone Wars. That's too much goddamn homework. Yeah, uh, uh, Jindy Tartofsky. Actually, that was it, the 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 Jindy Tartofsky Star Wars cartoon that she appeared in first, I guess. Like, how dare you make a TV show based on a character that hasn't been in any of the goddamn movies? It's like making a it's like making a fucking TV show based off of a trading card. <laughs> well, this is this is where we're at now in IP, right? This is how we have to strip mine everything uh and then and then regurgitate it back into itself, pour it back into the mine and then mine it some more. David Felony understands this. He was born in it. So he is the man to uh to lead this bold new iteration uh, of a steadily uh, just <laughs> corroding and corroding idea that is Star Wars. Um, but let's 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 just all remember George Lucas for Star Wars. He ripped off like you know Jack Kirby designs and Kurosawa movies. And he had all sorts of inspirations. What's Dave Floyd's inspiration? Star Wars. Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah. It's just this closed circuit of garbage. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't really have any new blood coming in there, does it? It's like whatever George Lucas thought was really cool in 1975-76 and we just have to keep regurgitating and reiterating on that. Um, but anyway, I-, I think that's a good place to conclude our debate. And also this episode has gone pretty long. So we'll uh, we'll well, yeah, for it's now. The, it's the first of the it's the first of the the new book. The first so of the recap, that's right. Long. It's, it's the first of our new Bad Batch of episodes. Looking forward to Ahsoka! Oh, we I, love Star I, Wars, I, don't we? Man, that's... <laughs> I'm going to be so pissed off when we have to watch fucking Book of Boba Fett. We do. We're going to watch... Oh, that's what it's called. That's right. It's called Book of Boba... I thought it was, I kept calling it the Boba Fett show, which I think would go a little something like this. Nah, just kidding. We're done goofing. Also, I'm going to be really pissed off if there doesn't turn out to be a titular book in that that show. Yeah, well, it, the, the last shot is uh, is a handwriting, the end, and then uh, close, slowly closing a book, and it says the Book of Boba Fett on it. If it's not that, I'm writing. I, I, will, I will burn David Felony's house down. Good. Yes. And so to conclude our debate, we both are going to kill the guy, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> parody in the game parody 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 as always parody hyperbole satire uh in fact you know tm amend this entire uh no no I'll tell, I'll tell you what we're gonna do we're gonna we're gonna steal dave filoni's cowboy hat <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna break into uh filoni ranch and steal his cowboy hat <laughs> That's our again. That's gonna be fanboys three because we already have to break into the Tampa compound for fanboys two. So uh, yeah, we'll make that fanboys three. Anyway, my, my, you... my final point is that that this whole Dave Filoni talk is we're we're really giving coverage for 
I mean, John Favreau is not catching any strays right now, and he should. Yeah, yeah. He's he another actually, another person he, who's had he it too good for is too the long. Creator of the book of Boba Fett. Yeah. So. Well, we'll also a whole uh, lot of. Who would have thought that we would have gone from hating George Lucas for the prequels to revering him because everything that came out afterwards was so much worse? <laughs> well, honestly, I never thought there would be the day where I would hate Timothy Zahn. And today, it was that day. Paper but, day. Uh, pa- paper day. Paper day. Uh, <laughs> I think that's going to be the name of the episode. <laughs> but anyway, uh, thank you so much for joining us for starting off on The Last Command as we round out our, wow, the, the first kind of our, our first objectives that we set out for ourselves. We're going to do it. We're going to, I feel we're going to do it. We're going to finish off the Thrawn trilogy and we would love to have you all along for the ride. Uh, If you have any questions, comments, praise, um, positive reviews, uh, if you just think we're handsome and you want to tell us, that's okay too. You can write the show at thronderdomepod at gmail.com. I sometimes check the inbox, so we may see it later. Um, but we do really love that y'all are along for the ride on this extremely silly project that we've made for ourselves. Uh, and more than anything, I'm glad you're along for the ride, Ronnie. I couldn't, I couldn't imagine doing it with anyone else. I kind of resent you for making me read these books, but also I kind of enjoy it, so it's a mixed bag. <laughs> and folks, uh, we'll, we'll see you back here on your favorite mixed bag next time. Good night. Bye.